You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Revision Path. I'm Maurice Cherry, and before we jump into this week's interview, I just want to remind you once again about Recognize. Recognize is our design anthology that features essays and commentaries from Indigenous people and people of color. Now, the theme for this year is fresh, and the deadline for essay submissions is April 30th. I know that's only just a few weeks away. So for more details, including how to submit your essay, as well as our rules, visit recognize.design. Now let's talk about our sponsors, Facebook Design and Abstract. Facebook Design is a proud sponsor of Revision Path. To learn more about how the Facebook Design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, please visit facebook.design. This episode is also brought to you by Abstract, design workflow management for modern design teams. Spend less time searching for design files and tracking down feedback, and spend more time focusing on innovation and collaboration. Like Glitch, but for designers, Abstract is your team's version-controlled source of truth for design work. With Abstract, you can version sketch design files, present work, request reviews, collect feedback, and give developers direct access to all specs all from one place. Sign your team up for a free 14-day trial today by heading over to www.abstract.com. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Ashley Bozeman, an art director at the Martin Agency in Richmond, Virginia. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, so my name is Ashley Bozeman. I am an art director here at the Martin Agency, which is located in Richmond, Virginia. So as far as like the title of my actual uh, role, so basically I work in the creative department at a creative ad agency. I'm usually paired with a copywriter and together, we are the ones who are briefed and tasked to basically come up with ideas for campaigns, commercials, social posts, really anything you can think of. It's our job to basically come up with that creative idea. And then specifically as an art director, it's my job to bring that to life visually. So how does that look? Who is being represented? You know, what are the color choices or the style choices? Cinematography, you know, working with directors and things like that. But we basically just We're the ones who control how everything looks, whereas our partners um, are copywriters. They are the ones who control the tone of voice and what that sounds like and scripts and things like that. So together, we're the ones kind of uh, the the big brains behind a lot of the things you'll see on TV as far as like commercials and things like that. It sounds like your work is a lot of, I guess, like meetings and sort of heads down work sessions. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, definitely a lot of meetings. But it's also a lot of concepting. So it's a lot of just like I was briefed earlier today, uh, we'll get a brief and then, um, you know, we'll look at our calendars. Hey, when you have some time, we'll put like two or three hours on on our schedules. And then we'll just find a room in the office and literally just sit and come up with ideas. Ideas that are large and kind of lofty that we're not sure if the clients would ever even buy or do. And then ideas that also fit the brief exactly. So we basically will just kind of get together and just kind of brainstorm of different ways we can kind of find the best solution for that problem in the brief to be solved or for something to be showcased in the best way possible. And now this this brief document that you get, this is coming, I'm assuming this is coming from the client or is this someone else that's kind of putting this information together for you? Yeah. So internally, we have our strategists. So our strategists are the ones who kind of work with the client and then they kind of work on their own research and insights to basically develop a kind of like, yeah, just kind of like a brief. So it just, it'll give us insights. It'll have like the actual problem they're trying to solve. It'll have the target demographic about when we're trying to do said thing, have like a timeline, maybe important events that are happening around that time too, that then they kind of all like compile together to kind of create this kind of like you know, it's usually like about five or six page long document that we can also then use to kind of go back to, to kind of make sure that whatever ideas we do come up with, that they fit the brief and they fit that target audience and they fit the platform that they're asked us to create on. Yeah, it's kind of a mix. A lot of it does come internally, but they definitely have to use findings and 
have these conversations with the clients to make sure that it's good to go. Now, from what I heard, you were the first black woman hired there as a creative in the history of the agency. Is that true? Yes. So that's actually pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy considering I started in uh, 2018, in the beginning of uh, 2018. And I think I didn't find that out probably like at least like a year and a half, a year and a half maybe into my career here. But so it was kind of like a shock. But I think also too, it was something that was also still really exciting. And I think that like my friends and like my parents, especially my mom was trying to hype me up about. Whereas I think initially I felt like kind of scared, you know, you kind of yeah. feel worried like, oh, okay, I don't know if I really asked to be the first, but something my mom always says is, well, somebody has to be the first, so why can't it be you? Mm-hmm. So I think that things like that are also just so important when it comes to just kind of remembering like your place. And then again, not to take it as a negative, but just to know that like, hey, this is pretty exciting. We're starting new things and, you know, somebody has to do it. And all of us are more than capable in being that person. Who are some of the brands or clients that you've been able to work with? When I first started out, I primarily was working on Land O'Lakes Butter. So I know a lot of unnecessary facts about butter. Um, (laughs) Okay. Which is uh, so funny with creatives. And that's why I love creatives, especially in the ad industry, because like, everybody knows wild things about wild things, like, you know, about random things, like, Mm-hmm. It's just so interesting. So I know a lot of things about butter. I worked on butter for almost a year. And then last year, I did a lot of work for Discover Card. Okay. I'm a little knowledgeable, actually, in credit cards. So that's kind of exciting. This year and at the end of last year, too, I've been on more Oreo work, which has been fun and exciting. And then a lot of different other things. As we were pitching for Old, Old Navy, um, I helped out with that some. And that was really fun. And like there's so many that they literally just have us go back and forth. I'm working on on Penske now. I've done UPS. I've done Ritz Crackers. I've worked on that for a while. So there's definitely a lot of brands that I've had the opportunity to touch here, which has been fantastic. But then also too, we also just have a lot of cool brands too that um, I'm excited to hopefully touch this year, like DoorDash and um, CarMax and things like that. So yeah, it just kind of changes. And it's nice because I'm never just on one thing. Yeah. I'm usually on a few different things. So that um, I think especially um, when you have like a mind that's like literally all over the place, it's nice to be able to divert your energy into other paths rather than just one. Is there, yeah. a, is there a specific type of client that you enjoy working with? Because I would imagine in an ad agency, you're working with, like you just mentioned, all these different clients. They're in all these different industries. There's a lot of variety there. Yeah, there are. Yeah, there is. It's interesting, too, because I think I find that like that, that almost changes sometimes. I think there's been parts of every client that I've worked on so far that I really, really have enjoyed and I really, really like. I think... Oreo was really fun because they are kind of design heavy and I do love design and they also really love big ideas. So that's kind of like a really fun place to kind of like come up with these larger ideas. But I think also too, I really love projects that uh, use their platform to kind of spread a larger message. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's something that's really nice because it's kind of few and far between. A lot of times people just want to make sure that their brand or their product is put place first, which I totally understand. But I think at the same time, I also love, love, love when a client can tap into an issue that is relatable for them and appropriate for them, and they want to do something about it. And I think that that's really fun. And I think that's what gets me most excited when I get free on briefs like that. Now, I, I have to ask this question because you've spent mm-hmm. a lot of time talking about really sort of kind of the great things about your job and what it is that you do. But what's the worst thing about being <laughs> an art director in an agency? I would say the worst thing would prop honestly, and I think you can ask any art director this, I'm pretty sure they'll say the same thing. I think the death of every art director is making comps. And making mm. comps is literally just the art of basically intense hours of photoshopping and searching for images. And like, let's say like you've come up with like this grand idea. You said, okay, we want to make a truck that has like a slide on the back of it. And of course, every client is just like, okay, I don't know what that means. Can we see what that looks like? So again, that's our job. So now we have to find a truck and go on like Getty and search all these things and find the perfect truck and Photoshop that truck to make it Oreo branded, let's say, and then like put like a giant, then like find another image of a slide that still fits. 
and then still have it look somewhat realistic. So I think that part can just be just such a time consuming thing because you can search for pictures for hours and you can get like stuck in like this hole for hours. And so I think that that might be the most difficult part because how can you move fast, but then also make something look as nice. So I think that that's something I've really been working on this year too, is just my speed, but then also to my craft and making sure that those two things go together. So that can just be a little time consuming. But like I said, I think a lot of our directors can feel my pain when it comes to making comps. So like when you're working together with the the copywriter, are there, it sounds like you're also kind of the designer too. Like there's not designers that are in-house that are helping out or you're kind of. Yes, we definitely, we have a whole super, super talented design team. And we also have a very super, super talented studio art team and the studio art. So that's a group of people that will more so be the ones to kind of help us with those comps and kind of help us like get things together and make sure like the images are perfect and the files are perfect before they send them off to be um, shipped to whomever. And then our designers are more so like they'll kind of sit in contact with us sometimes. So sometimes they'll even be in the brief. If it's big enough, they'll be in the brief with us. And so then they know that they're kind of like concepting and thinking about it design wise, whereas we're kind of focused on still the imagery but also to like the core of the idea. That's still a big part of our job description as well. So we still have people who can help us out, but nine times out of 10, they have to kind of, you know, they still have plenty of things they have to do on their own. So it's just, I think as an art director, you kind of have to be like multifaceted, but I think a great art director is also a great designer and vice versa. So it's an interesting role because it kind of dips into a bunch of different things. Was design kind of a big part of your childhood, like growing up, you grew up in Milwaukee from what you told me before we, yeah. <laughs> before we started recording was design yeah. kind of a, a big part of you growing up. So you know what, not necessarily design, but more so just art. It's interesting. Cause so I'm the oldest of five and both of my parents are super smart. My dad's an engineer. My mom has always been great at math and science. And so I feel like I came out and I was just like this little, like, Hey, let's draw. So, um, <laughs> I just always felt like, wait, what happened? How did I not get that gene? But it's fine. I think what's interesting too is now that I actually like sitting here and talking about it, I think because of my dad's job, we've moved around quite a bit. And by moving around, like we probably moved around almost every like three years. So I was constantly going to new schools and new states and trying, I was always like the new kid. But I think I found comfort in art. I think that was something that wasn't reliant upon somebody else. So if I were to move like that summer or something, like I could still draw. It was something to still keep me occupied. It was something that I really enjoyed seeing a picture and then trying to, you know, then bring it to paper. So that was something I think, you know, kind of like that all kids do. But then I noticed that that was one thing that I really kept with. So I kept with it throughout middle school. I kept with it throughout high school. I even kept with it through actually through college, which I had then realized like, oh, maybe I should have majored in art. Maybe this should have been a thing. But I still took like, I literally took an art class every single semester. And there was only one semester I didn't. And I literally could feel the difference. Um, <laughs> I just didn't feel the same. So that's when I realized, okay, like this is probably going to be a part of me forever. So, yeah. yeah. Were your parents kind of really supportive of you going into art like that? They were. They were. and. I thank them all the time and I'm just so appreciative. They've always been super understanding. They've always been very supportive in that. And so I always say before I left or right after I had graduated from Hampton, I had gotten a degree um, in public relations, which I still really liked. But, you know, I just, I don't know. There was something about it where I was just like, okay, I basically made a deal with myself. I said, okay, so I'm job hunting, you know, I'm looking for a PR job, but you know, I'm going to take art classes on the side because I think that that's something really important to me. So I was looking for jobs in different cities and I looked in Atlanta. And so, of course, I was probably looking up the art schools before I was looking up the jobs. But so that tells you a lot right there. But <laughs> I found through a Google search, I was like looking through um, like art schools and then up popped up uh, two different things. It was the um, Portfolio Center and then the Creative Circus. And I remember reading through because as I was doing like the job search or like as I was looking at like descriptions for the PR jobs, it was interesting because art director would never be that far. 
because it's still all in communications. And so I would always see that job position and that job role. And I was just like, wow, that sounds so cool. That literally sounds right up my alley. But I don't know how you, you know, how would I become an art director? That doesn't make any sense. I don't like, that's really cool. I don't know how people get into it, but whatever. Once I found the circus, I was looking through and it was basically, I was just like, oh, so this is a two-year program where I could learn how to be an art director. I said, that sounds lit. That's exactly what I want to do. And so I remember I had like, I found it. I thought about it. Like I prayed on it and I sent my parents this really long text one morning and I was just like, hey, I found this school. I know I wasn't planning to go right back to school, but I found this school in Atlanta and I can study an art director there. And I think that like, I think it's legit. Like I think this is something I really want to do. It's something I'm really interested in. What do you guys think, basically? And they were just like, I mean, okay, crazy girl. So <laughs> they were just like, that's fine. They're like, okay. So like, I was like, I was the one who was like really stressed. Like, I don't know. Like, hopefully they'll be okay with it. X, Y, and Z. But they were like, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, sure. Why not? And so for that, I'm very thankful because I just know it's hard. I think it's hard really for anyone to kind of... uh tell like their parents and stuff, especially after we just spent all this money at a four-year university that, hey, I want to go to a portfolio school where, you know, also mind you, you don't get a degree in, you yeah. more so just get a certificate in. It's kind of crazy. It's like, okay, so we're about to put some more money back into schooling that you technically don't get another degree in. But I was trying to explain the importance. I was just like, well, look, like still like there's like a 99% like placement, 95, 99% placement rate after graduation. I think it'll be great. So yeah, they helped ride that wave with me ever since then. And um, even before and still now. So for that, I'm very grateful. I know that that's um, very much so a privilege that I don't take lightly. So I want to go back to the, the creative circus. But even before then, you kind of glossed a little bit over the fact that you went to such a prestigious HBCU for undergrad. You went to Hampton University. Yeah, those were some of the best years of my life so far. Um, I feel <laughs> that's where Ashley came to be Ashley. I think I'd grown up in predominantly uh, white uh, institutions and um, places and schools. My mom was the one who actually really pushed for that. She was very adamant and, hey, I know that like, obviously, like we couldn't help like by the school district but so much like while you were in high school and stuff. But she was like, if you decide to go to HBCU, just know that this is probably one of the only times in your life you'll be surrounded by so many beautifully like educated brown and black people who look just like you. And you just won't necessarily get that opportunity anywhere else. And the more I thought about it, it was interesting. I was a little nervous because I was actually going into Hampton. I was worried that maybe I wasn't quote unquote black enough. You know, I didn't necessarily have a lot of black friends growing up. And I, you know, technically wasn't in all those spaces and necessarily didn't know all the music and things like that. Of course, I was still like with my family and stuff, but you know, it's still not the same if you don't have like that core group of friends and stuff yeah. um, in high school and things like that. So it just wasn't the same. And so I was a little worried about that, but honestly, it turned out that there were a lot of Ashleys at Hampton and it was fantastic. And I think I wasn't the only one who felt that way, but that fear was just a projected fear that I had. It was never anything that actually happened. There was still a place for me as there was a place to someone who grew up in all black schools their entire life. I feel like that kind of flowing into Hampton was more, way more seamless than I thought it would be. But yeah, Hampton was an incredible experience. I have lifelong friends from there. I have bridesmaids. I have probably maid of honors. Like I just have some of my best friends I'll have for the rest of my life. And I just love also too, um, I think also too, I came into terms of also celebrating just who I am and also being black and like how much, like how much power there is in that. And so Hampton taught me a lot of that as well. And so um, that's really exciting. And it, it's interesting too, it even um, trans transcended into some of my art too. I noticed growing up, I actually drew more white women, hmm. more people who probably weren't of a, you know, of a black ethnicity. And it was interesting to kind of see how my sketchbooks have changed too by just being introduced into that. And then also like, again, it's important to know like, well, it's important as a child, even just growing up as a teenager, you know, what you see and what your perception is on things and how mm -hmm. much that affects you. But it was crazy how that was affecting my art and how I never really drew girls that necessarily looked like me. But now, like, if you ask me today, like, that's all I do. Wow. So it's very, very, very interesting to see how 
just that influence that I think that I had uh-huh. over my life. And I think that I think that that was probably the best decision I could have made. And that's one of the best decisions I've made, like flat out in my 26 years or so. You make an interesting point there about HBCUs. I mean, so I went to an HBCU also. I went to, to Morehouse. Okay. And HBCUs in general are, I mean, and maybe this is just us speaking as black people, like they're very warm, comforting, like open yeah. spaces yeah. for everyone. I don't know if people that maybe don't know the HBCU experience or just aren't familiar with HBCUs in general really see that, but like it's such a unique sort of family thing. I think one just among students and alums at a particular school, but also between HBCU graduate students and alums of other schools. Like we see like a certain like kinship in other people that have went to HBCUs. I don't know if that, if that kind of makes sense or not, but but no, it's interesting because you said your mom kind of really wanted you to go there to, you know, sort of soak up that culture. I'm curious to know, like, because Hampton has such a a well-known design program. I mean, we've had several people on the show who have graduated from Hampton that mm-hmm. went on to graduate school. Actually, you mentioned the Creative Circus, Nikita Pope. She's a Hampton grad. Yeah. What was the, the program like there for you? Like, do you feel like it really prepared you once you got out there as a working art director, as a working designer? Yeah. So I think what's interesting is, I think as most, well, I was 17, 18 year olds going into college. I think I knew that I wanted to be kind of creative. I knew I liked things that were more like thinking based and um, creation based, but I don't think I ever really knew how to fully get into it. Mm-hmm. And so with that being said, I think some of that, it was also too of my own misunderstanding and kind of almost like canceling it out completely. Whereas I think maybe I probably in those four years, I look back now and I'm just like, man, I wish I would have learned, you know, Photoshop and Illustrator and the Adobe suite during Hampton rather than trying to learn it at the circus. And so I think that was almost kind of my misstep and like not maybe taking full advantage of all the programs that were there currently at Hampton, as I was kind of more so just focused on like just fine art and just drawing and painting and things like that. So looking back, I'm just kind of like, man, if I would have only really known that like I could have done this and then went here and then that would have made sense, then I think I absolutely would have set it up that way. But I think, I know it's not just me. I know it's a lot of people. I think it's just like you realize and you're just like, oh shoot, this was an option and this was a path. And like looking back, I definitely would have done like some things differently as far as like my track and like the kind of like the my major, definitely my minor. I think that they have a great still program and I do have friends and I do know people who have successfully gone through the programs and they're doing great now still too. I just think I just wasn't like for sure, for sure just yet while I was at Hampton. Yeah. So like, I just wasn't able to fully tap into all the resources. Yeah. I think that's probably like, I don't want to say a regret, but I feel like that's a regret for sometimes I think for people that are, are at schools, they don't feel like they've gotten a chance to really utilize all the resources. It's sort of one of those, you know, hindsight is 2020 kind of things. You look back and realize how good you had it <laughs> in a way. But I mean, what what you learned that happened, though, at least kind of propelled you forward to then go to the creative circus. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um. I think also to Hampton, I think that also one of the big, well, a really big takeaway that I got from Hampton is uh, learning how to just work with people and learning to really come into your own. I think, I feel like that that was almost like, I think college in general, it just, it comes at the right time and it always feels like it ends too early, but I'm sure that it ends right on time, but it definitely prepared me to work with people and professionalism and kind of, again, like you were mentioning earlier about like that sense of community that now I carry into when it comes to um, here amongst all the employees here, Martin, but um, also especially our black employee network. Yeah. And that's something that I really lean into hard because I think it reminds me so much of Hampton. So it's something that I I really kind of latch onto and really try to kind of just, I don't know, just really attach myself to because it really feels like home. Yeah. So when you ended up going to the circus and you were here in Atlanta, I'm curious, like, what was that time like for you? Because Creative Circus, I'm thinking, you know, I'm sort of trying to line it up. So this is like between 2015 to 2017. What was that time like in Atlanta for you? 
Atlanta was a great time. So it was interesting because Atlanta necessarily wasn't in one of my cities to live necessarily, but I realized that I had really made a home out of Atlanta by the time I, like those two years were up and I I miss it almost every day. But I think my time there was just such a whirlwind, was probably the best way to explain it. It was like anything I've never, like I've ever experienced before. It was just, I just call it, it was just like this crazy two-year boot camp, it felt like. Yeah. Um, the circus is also set up by quarters. So it's pretty much year round. And so that was something new. I think also too, that was my, that's the biggest city that I've lived in. And I, you know, I lived in my own also too, kind of just going off a whim and doing something that I personally did never knew of anybody doing before, you know, and kind of leaping out to take that chance was also really scary. And so I think what I was like, 22. I think I just turned 23 the day before my first day of class. And it was just a crazy time. But again, like that was just another time where I learned so much and I got to be just so creative. And that's, that's something also too that I missed. There were like, there were barely any restrictions. There were barely like any like, Oh, we can't do that. Or you can't use those colors. Or, you can't do that. Like everything was open for grabs. There was time to actually do things. And even as rushed and as stressed and as busy as we were, because we were all those things all the time for those whole two years. At the same time, I think that I still made incredible, incredible friendships and experiences that like, again, kind of like with Hampton, I think that that phase in my life will stay with me forever too. I think that that was such a big, big, important time as far as my career development and, and also my development as a creative. I really think that that was also the time that I really fell in love with design mm-hmm. and what kind of like digital design and graphic design and digital art and how to kind of like transfer my like traditional skills and kind of put it more into like this modern day like age. So it was like this big squirrel, but it was fantastic. And again, I think that that was also a great choice that I'm very happy I did. Nice. Yeah. Now, when you look back over your career, look back over your education, et cetera. Who are some of the people that have really helped like motivate and inspire you throughout the years? Ah, uh, yeah. So I think a lot of times when I think about those people, a lot of times they are just people who have just been just so just kind. And a lot of times it's friends, it's friends, it's family, it's really few everybody in between. So I would say that First off, of course, you know, my family is always super supportive, always have been day one, very thankful. Then I, I feel like I, I had my, uh, my Hampton core group friends. They were always so supportive. I would call them in tears or super stressed out about a project. And, um, they would always pick up the phone, always be encouraging and be like, Hey, we don't really understand a hundred percent, but we know that you're doing the right thing. So just keep going. And then as I got to the circuits and stuff, I've met amazing creatives who are just all like just fantastic. And so I'm learning from them every day. And it's really nice to also go through this journey at the same time with them and kind of hearing similar stories. And I think that that's something that's more empowering that I think people may not realize, but having a group of people who are doing similar or pretty much the same thing as you, but different places, it's it's really cool to see us all grow, you know, all over the country. I have some really fantastic, fantastic coworkers who have now turned to friends, who have now turned to family. And a lot of those people here at Martin, they are like brothers and sisters. They are like big brothers and sisters or mentors. And I just am so thankful for all of them. And I think that they are really single-handedly helping me navigate my career, which is priceless. So I just learned so much from each and every one of them. And I'm so thankful for their presence. But I think... It takes a village and it's been taken a village. So there's a ton of people that I feel like I've been blessed with that can help me out with that. Do you have a dream project that you'd love to work on one day? Yes. I feel like I'm not 100% sure what that is, but as far as like a name, but I think, like I said, I would love, I think my dream project would be visually stunning, very well designed. And then also, too, it would be for a, it would be for a bigger cause. It would either be for like a non-for-profit. It would be a either some kind of like announcement. I've also always like dreamed of maybe doing like like design or art direction for like an art museum 
or even like I've also been watching a lot of music videos lately. I would low-key love to art direct a music video. Or and then too, I think also my dream is to uh, work on a movie one day. So I think it kind of like it, it spans. It's definitely like it can be anything from like a book, like a very beautifully like well art directed, well laid out book, mm-hmm. all the way to like helping out to say that I was able to help out with like um even like a Pixar film. If I could like be in the room to help out with like art direction or, you know, or colors or things like that. Like, I think things like that just really get me excited. And um, those kind of projects too, I think would help also to remind me of why I love my job in the first place. And it all comes back to um, being able to make something. And I think that that's what I love the most is just physically making something. And that's why I love being an art director. I love coming up with ideas. But I also really, really love making things. Yeah. So, yeah. I have to ask, since you mentioned a music video, which artist would you work with? Oh, I mean, obviously, I love Beyonce. I would do anything she would ever ask me to do. <laughs> and <laughs> drop of a dime, she called me right now. I would run to LA or wherever she's at. But there are some really, really, really cool artists out here that I really love. So I recently watched, I believe her name is... Victoria Monet, I believe. Yeah. And yeah. She, yeah. She just had a, a music video drop for her new song, Moment. Mm-hmm. And visually, it's beautiful. It's such, she did such an amazing job. The art direction is fantastic. Like things like that I would absolutely work with her in a heartbeat. And also, too, I've been watching a lot of Brent Fayez. He also has some really cool, artsy and kind of grungy art direction, which I would also be very into. And obviously Solange also does a great job. There's just like a few different ones. And then even too, people, I would also say don't sleep on even some of the rappers like Playboy Cardi. He also does a great job as far as like his editing team and kind of like, I love the effort that's being put behind a lot of these music videos. Yeah, um, They're just so visually like engaging. And it's just interesting because we don't necessarily have that like 106 and Park or MTV, like, you know, playing music videos all the time. Yeah, yeah. You kind of have to go out of your way to kind of watch them. But I love that we're still putting the effort behind them, even if we're not being watched all the time. That's true. That's true. You know, like, I think you think that that would kind of die off. And in some aspects it has. And I think people, that's why maybe we don't even have as many music videos on a consistent basis as we think we should. Mm. But I think I love music so much. And so to be able to tell a story in you know, within a song, I think that that would just be such a fun challenge. And, you know, kind of like, and you can take that story so many different ways as people do and find meaning and find purpose for everything. But I think that that would be something really, really fun to do. I am seeing how the music videos now for certain artists are certainly, it's bringing me back to like the heyday of the 90s when we had like Hype Williams videos or you had like really dope videos by Missy and everything. And it's like, you get so... I mean, of course you love the song, but then the visuals along with the song, you know, it it makes each video like an event of sorts. I think we, I mean, I feel like we have to really give it up to Michael Jackson for making video releases an event, like a prime time event that people used to tune into. I remember as a kid tuning in to watch Black or White or tuning in to watch Remember the Time. But like, yeah, now there's, you really kind of don't see that. It feels like the big thing now is the surprise drop. I mean, like right. Beyonce did it, of course, and now everyone else is is trying to find some way to to get your attention really quickly. So it's not only yes, we want you to like look at the you know look at the video and consume the music, but it's it's really about gathering your attention for a period of time. Yeah, and similar to how you felt like that, that's how I felt in Atlanta when she dropped Lemonade, yeah. and I vividly remember that night, and I went over to my friend's house at HBO, and we'd all brought stuff to like eat and watch, and I just remember like just texting my mom like, oh my God, do you see this? Oh, good. <laughs> like, whatever, whatever. Right. But I think that that was fantastic. And I think, I think that it also just goes to show like the true craft and then like the, again, that wanting to make something. Again, this is nothing she ever like necessarily had to do. But I think a lot of it for her is too, is just, and just like Michael, I think it's that wanting to tell that story and go that extra step. Like, yes, I made the song and yes, I made this lyrics and yes, I sang it and performed it. But now it's just like, I want to bring it to life visually. Yeah. And I think that that's really, really exciting. And I think you don't see that necessarily all the time. But all that to say, too, is like Lemonade, like that was an event. 
And I just don't remember the last music video since then. That's really felt like an event event. I don't know. Like, I feel like my memory might be a little jogged right now, but. No, I think um, you might be right. I mean, you know, videos come out all the time, but it's like they get shared on, on Twitter or something and you watch a Vivo link and you're like, okay. And then you go about your day. Like, it's not really something that you really are tuned in for or anticipating seeing it because for the artist they like they want to surprise you with it it's like oh surprise i put out a new music video and you're like oh okay and you watch it and then you just that's it yeah i know i know and that's why i think her idea of like a a, a visual album was fantastic and then to also see all the songs yeah come to life for one bigger story which i think also too a lot of that just goes back to storytelling and the art of doing that which is really fun, whether you're telling your own story or if you're entrusted to share someone else's story. Right. I think there's a lot of power and there's a lot of connectiveness that comes in, you know, being able to kind of bring those words and those experiences to life. Mm-hmm. And I think we're also fortunate to be at a time where the technology is also accessible enough where you don't necessarily have to have the huge studio and the crew and everything. I mean, people are shooting great music videos on iPhones with gimbals, like the tech and the the hardware, I should say, has gotten a lot more accessible for more people to really kind of get into it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it is really cool to see how, how quickly things move. And mm-hmm. I mean, we just every day and I know people talk about that all the time, but really things move so fast. Yeah. And so it's just like, you're just trying to ride, ride a wave and a, I would say 15 seconds, but I feel like it's less than that. It is right. now. I mean, you're, you're starting to see artists that are like even actually I read this article and I'm sort of plugging work here for a minute, but I read this article Thanks, on huh? Glimmer, which is my, my employer is Glitch, but we have a, a lifestyle publication called Glimmer. And one of the, the recent articles is about how artists like manipulate their songs and their DJ sets to make sure that they're getting like the maximum amount of streams and everything like that. So it almost feels like the music is not in as much about expression as much as it is about just charting or getting numbers yeah. or reaching some like arbitrary yeah. success metric. And it's good that you have the artists that are sort of outside of that, that are more interested in creating experiences. Like you mentioned Solange, you yeah. mentioned Beyonce. I think Janelle Monet is like another artist that tries yeah. to do that. Like just tries to elevate what she's doing past just, you know, a track or an EP you know, she wants to make it like an experience. Exactly. And that's why it's artists like that, that I, I really latch on to and I really respect them in their craft because I think that that's just like the definite, like the definition of a true artist. Like you just legitimately want to make something for the sake of making it and expressing yourself. And I think that that's so exciting. And also too, especially when you do it despite maybe low views or, you know, doesn't necessarily may or may not help streams or whatever. I feel like in this day and age, if you're really taking the time for music videos, a lot of times you're just doing it out of artistry, mm-hmm. which I really respect, especially really nicely. Well, you know, not, not just also like we're just blowing this giant budget. We have and giving this quarter of a million, million dollar budget. But outside of that, we're actually like using it to actually sit down and like craft a story. Mm-hmm. I think that those are the artists I respect the most. What do you wish you would have been told about the advertising industry when you first started? I think I wish I would have known how quickly things move and how things, things as far as like projects almost too, like they can be here today and gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's such an interesting thing. And um, it's such an interesting um, career choice because you are investing yourself. So like, like creatively and kind of like emotionally a little bit and mentally it can be very straining and physically you can be very tired. So you're just putting in all this energy and then into a thing that's not even necessarily always for certain. Yeah. So projects can still fall through, budgets can be like, Oh, we're not going to do this. Or they can be like, Oh, we're going to hold this for later. Or, Oh, well we don't have the resources to do that right now. So we're going to go ahead and table it. There's just so many factors that go into everything and way more factors. than I think that people realize every time you see a really good commercial on TV now, I actually like applaud it and I, I respect it because there are just so many factors that played into having great work get out there. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of hard, but that's something I really respect. How do you make time for joy? I 
make time for joy by, I think, keeping to the things that I still want to do regardless. I've learned that this job can be very stressful. There can be a lot of projected stress. It can be very like rush, 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 this, this, this. But I think what gives me joy at the end of the day and when I go home and I go to sleep is just my relationships with people, my friendships with people, and knowing how much those matter to me. And so what brings me joy, I think, is doing whatever I can to maintain those and to kind of commit myself or be committed to still honoring the things that I still love to do on the side and um, actively making time for those things. So it can be kind of tough when you feel like you're super swamped and you have a lot of things going on and a lot of projects, but I think it's possible just with like a little planning. A lot of things are possible with just like, okay, well, let me move these things around so I can kind of have some space. And also too, I think what I've been realizing lately is just sometimes it's solitude. And sometimes it's also like just kind of taking a step back and just kind of finding joy and peace in also replenishing yourself. I think a lot of times too, we weigh our, the uh, outcomes, well, we define ourselves by the outcomes of our project. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, a lot, a lot, a lot of times, it's not because it's, because something fell through. A lot of times it's not our fault. It's just external factors. So I think it's important for me to also find joy into other things that I feel like maybe I do find more control in and kind of putting more of my, some of that same, maybe not more, but at least some of that same energy that I put into for work things that I will still put in for things like like side projects. Or if I want to like just have like a, I call them paint parties. By paint parties, it's just me painting on my floor <laughs> and by myself. So overall though, I really do think that there's joy um, all around us. I think it's just our, sometimes it can kind of, kind of, it can kind of feel scheduled or kind of like a responsibility. But in living in a world where things are so crazy and things do move around so fast and things get rescheduled and this down and third and you're trying to keep up with things, I just kind of feel like, well, hey, if I have to schedule time for me to like, and if I put on my calendar, go have fun, then that's what I'll do. But I find joy in my friends. And also, I, I find a lot of joy going to concerts too. I love nice. seeing live music. So that's something that I don't think I'll ever get tired of. So I'm always at somebody's concert. So <laughs> that's something I can plan to keep up. What advice would you give to somebody that wants to break into the ad industry today? I would say, okay, cool. I'm glad that I'm so happy that you've seen and considered this as an option. I think that there are resources. And I think also too, it's interesting now because I feel like um, the game is really changing as far as the way that recruiting is going. And I think agencies, even Martin is researching and finding new ways to recruit and find talent. It's interesting. A lot of times it was kind of just, it almost always felt like this kind of like secret almost. It's just like, how do you get into that? How do you do it? But I think agencies are now trying harder to be more present, be more present at places like um, HBCUs to go to more, to a a whole like plethora of um, high schools and middle schools and to career fairs, which have, been to both and I'm um, kind of helping with those efforts, something that I'm also very passionate about. But I think that it's definitely possible. I think if able, I think portfolio schools are a great, great, great end, a great end to the ad agency life. They really are a great pipeline to kind of get in the door. But outside of that, just really tapping into those creative strengths, working on your craft and your skill. And then just feeling confident in concepting and kind of coming up with ideas. But what's lovely about ad agencies too is what we tell everybody is that there's usually a place for every type of person here, even if it's not in creative. There's usually some kind of space that everyone fits into. And so with that being said, I think it's just so viable. And it's just, again, even if you're not in creative department, I think it's there's something to be said to be around so much creative energy. And... Mm-hmm in such a kind of flexible like environment I really truly think and I know a lot of people out there too feel the same way but I feel like this is like legitimately like what I need and I feel like I always tell people too in your in your heart of hearts if you feel like you're meant to do something you might as well just start now because you're you're going to end up doing it anyways because it's not going to go away so you know it's kind of just like all right well if I'm able to start now let's just start now yeah so yeah 
but there's a place literally for everyone. And I think that's what I love about most about my job. Nobody, no two people come from like the same background or the same track. It's just different. It's just, but there's all these different people, but they all have a space. And so I think that that's something to be said. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like it's, it's 2025. What kind of work are you doing or working on? Huh? 2025. At that point, I feel like there's probably a good chance I'll probably be either in New York or LA. I would be working on some really, really cool, potentially like lifestyle-esque brands, whether that be like like a Target or do like like an interesting like media company, like a Refinery29 or potentially even maybe even trying out what it's like to be an art director at a magazine company like Elle or Ebony or any of those. And am I able to still empower people there too? I'm excited because I think by then my creativity will have branched out to something that's still art direction, but I think might be a little different. And so that's what I'm trying to figure out now is what is it? I know I love creating. I know I love making things, but what are other ways I can also explore that too? And I also too, maybe I'll have a side project by then that'll just blow up and then I can just be an entrepreneur (laughs) for the rest of my life. You just never know. And it's just really exciting, but um, there's so many opportunities to be creative, but in different ways. So I'm excited to really explore those out in the next five years. Nice. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? My portfolio, which I'm working on updating currently, my portfolio is ashleybozeman.com. So A-S-H-L-E-Y-B-O-Z-E-M-A-N.com. And then my Instagram is at Ashley Sierra. So A-S-H-L-E-Y-C-I-E-R-R-A-A. So those are the two places that I am the most especially like Instagram, but I'm usually always around, always like, I'm always down. I always answer almost every DM or if anybody who ever wants to chat or has any questions too about kind of just getting started, that's something I love to do. And I love to get people excited and, you know, just talk about it as a career, but I love to help out as any way as I can. I think that it's so important to still reach back. And I know that I've only been doing this for two years, but if there's some way I can help, I definitely will. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, Ashley Bozeman, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you really for, for sharing your story about sort of what it's like being, you know, a young black woman working in the advertising industry and then also sharing like the things that inspire you. You know, we have people, I think really of, of all ages that are listening to this show. We've got students, we've got captains of industry, et cetera. And we try to hit just a lot of different points of creativity and design and everything. And so it's always good to kind of hear from the perspective of someone that's kind of, I wouldn't say like just starting out in it, but you've been in it for a while now. Yeah. Yeah, But I mean, to to get the perspective of like, what is it like for you now at this stage? I mean, 2020 for all intents and purposes is the future Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, I know. And and it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and it's, it's good to know that you're at a position where you're able to craft the images that a lot of people see when it comes to representation for a number of different brands and companies, et cetera. That's a really sort of big mantle to hold. So it sounds like definitely you have the creativity and the skills to make it happen. And I'm going to be really interested to see what you work on in the future. So thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fantastic. It was lovely to talk to you. And yeah, just thank you so much for having me on this platform. And hopefully that this will help or inspire someone else. Yeah. Big, big thanks to Ashley Bozeman. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Ashley and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our sponsors for this episode, Facebook Design and Abstract. Facebook Design is a proud sponsor of Revision Path. To learn more about how the Facebook design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, please visit facebook.design. This episode is also brought to you by Abstract, design workflow management for modern design teams. Spend less time searching for design files and tracking down feedback, and spend more time focusing on innovation and collaboration. Like a glitch but for designers, Abstract is your team's version control source of truth for design work. 
With Abstract, you can version sketch design files, present work, request reviews, collect feedback, and give developers direct access to all specs all from one place. Sign your team up for a free 14-day trial today by heading over to www.abstract.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio here in Atlanta, Georgia. Are you looking for some creative consulting for your next project? Then let's do lunch. Visit us at yepitslunch.com. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Our transcripts are provided by Glitch. So what did you think of this episode? Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, or even better, by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll even read your review right here on the show. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.